Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast with your host, Kayla Osterhoff. As a health scientist, biohacker, and generally curious person, I'm always looking for new ways to optimize and integrate mind, body, and spiritual health. I created this podcast to explore the magic and science of human biology and expand your consciousness through learning. If you enjoy the episode that you're about to hear, please leave a review and share it with someone who can benefit from the information. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to another episode of the BioCurious podcast. This week, Kayla talks with Dr. Neil Paulvin about the power of peptides and how you can use them for anti-aging, sleep, brain, and mitochondrial health. They go over where to start in terms of the different kinds of therapies and peptides out there and the importance of changing your lifestyle. The end of the episode features a live audience Q&A, and if you'd like to listen to an episode live, download the Clubhouse app and follow Kayla. We at BioCurious would like to thank this week's sponsor, Somavetic. Somavetic is designed to decrease your exposure to non-native electromagnetic frequencies, such as Wi-Fi, lights, radio waves, and so on. By harmonizing the body and the environment, your sleep will benefit and you will feel better all around. They have different models to make you feel energized, focused, productive, and calmer. You can use the code BIOCURIOUS for 10% off your order. Thank you again to Somavetic for sponsoring this episode, and as always, I hope you enjoy and learn something new. Thank you so much, Neil, for joining me again on the BioCurious podcast today to talk about peptides and longevity medicine. Thanks for having me, Kayla. I really look forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, so for the listeners who are not familiar, um, Dr. Neil Palvin is my favorite functional medicine doc because he provides such great um, advice and educational material through his social platforms. And so you are all in for a treat with this episode. We are going to get into all things longevity, peptides, sports medicine, biohacking, you name it. Um, so hang in there and definitely um, earmark your questions for the end of this chat. But before we dive in, Neil, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this field of medicine. Sure. Yeah. So I got into this kind of like a lot of other people, especially in the health and the alternative or the functional medicine space. Um, I've had I had some issues in terms of really a lot of back pain and headaches. Um, so a lot of the traditional doctors where things didn't uh, really improve myself, improve my uh, health at all. And I started doing things back, uh, this is probably 10 years ago now, where I started doing things like yoga and watching what I ate in terms of avoiding gluten and things like that and doing some dry needling. I'm like, wow, I feel so much better. And then I went down, started using it with my patients and went more into things, uh, more functional medicine in terms of lab work and mitochondria than doing these really new cool injections and then got into peptides, which... I found to help so many of my patients. So I just went down the alternative holistic rabbit hole um, pretty much after doing with my own battle. And uh, 
I love doing, using it in, in patients now. So that's kind of where everything started. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you went down that rabbit hole because you are a great source of information for me and so many others. Um, and it's a great rabbit hole to go down if you're going to choose one. So um, speaking of peptides, I want to start off our conversation with the peptide conversation because I think that's probably why a lot of folks are here. Um, peptides are all the rage. They're everywhere. You hear about them from every biohacker that has a podcast or platform. And there are so many different varieties and uses for them. So before we get into all of that juiciness, could you tell us exactly what peptides are and their mechanism of action for those who are not familiar? Sure. Yeah, no, peptides are sm small uh, groups of amino acids. It could be as small as like five or six. It could be sometimes three or 400. And to keep it simple, how they work is they can either work on a hormone they can work on an enzyme pathway. They can work on a specific tissue like the thymus gland um, and to uh, exert their action. And they're really cool now because it used to be mostly just, okay, I have to inject myself with all these different things. And now you can get them in creams and pills and sucking candies. Um, you can do IVs. So you can do it in so many different forms. There's hair foams and skin foam. So because they treat so many different things, they come in so many different forms. Now they make it so much easier for me as a doctor and for the patient to use it and uh, help their health. Mm, yeah, and I've seen so many out there. Um, so before we get into like what each of the peptides are and what they can be used for and the different types of methods that they can be delivered, um, I am curious, do you have a specific recommendation for folks who want to get peptide therapies? Do you always recommend that they go under um, a medical doctor's um, supervision? I assume that's probably the case, but you see so many companies out there offering peptides. Um, so for me, I get a little wary about um, where they're coming from, what they actually are, and I get a little bit nervous if it's not coming from uh, a medical doctor. Yeah, I mean, since I'm a medical doctor, like you said, I tend to use the certain pharmacies. I use what's called compounding pharmacies that I know are regulated by the government, that they're being regulated by the, at the state level um, for almost everything. Um, so I know it, I know it is what it says it is. I know it's made in the United States because um, some of the lower level pharmacies are getting things from China and other countries. We just don't know what's in there. They've done studies where they tell you it's one thing and then it's three other things and you're not even getting what you said in there. Plus you're getting some metal toxicity thrown in. So um, I do recommend a, you use a reputable compounding pharmacy, no matter who, make sure your doctor is and B make sure that you know that, that you also doctor. Cause I've seen patients come in on t trying to do DIY it and their doses are like insanely high or they're taking combinations which they shouldn't be taking. And that just leads to more medical issues and try to improve whatever condition that you're trying to improve or whatever hack you're trying to use. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that I've definitely been very um, careful and, um, 
and I haven't tried very many peptides because of that. But the one I have tried is BPC-157. Um, that one has a lot of research backing it. And I did my due diligence and research before I used it for an injury. Um, and it had fantastic results. Uh, my injury healed within a week. It was a, a, a very severe elbow sprain. Um, I thought that I had actually broke my elbow because of how swollen it was. Um, but it was not a, it was not a break. It was just a severe sprain. Um, and after using the BPC-157 peptides um, injected into my elbow, um, for about four days, I noticed a significant difference. And a week later, it was pretty much back to normal. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that specific peptide, how you've used it, and um, what are the best delivery methods? Sure. I think every, I think BPC 157 is kind of, I don't know, everybody, it's like the chocolate chip cookie, man, it's the best analogy. Everybody knows it. Everybody has heard of that one specifically. It's really the easiest one to start. Um, yes. BBC 157 has so many great uses. The main two are inflammation. Um, like you said, for patients who have a, a shoulder injury or a joint issue or knee pain. Um, it's, it's a really simple one to use. It's usually done either injectable or orally. Um, I have most of my patients start it with injection at least for the first month or so. If there's some gut issue and you're not going to absorb it, then it's not going to be as effective. A lot of times I will inject it near the area of pain. I'm not sure if that's how you were doing it, Kayla. Um, or I'll do it either around the area, like the shoulder, around the shoulder, actually into the shoulder. Um, and so it, and it works incredibly well and works incredibly fast. I mean, if I have patients with torn labrums or I had a patient who fell off a snowmobile who healed like remarkably faster just by using BPC and a couple other little things with it. So it works incredibly well. Um, you asked about the forms, like um, it comes in a couple different forms. There's injection. Uh, there's a, a cream now that you can do topically. Um, if you use the cream, sometimes it helps to do with ultrasound or some electric stim with it to, uh, to optimize the effect. Um, in terms of pain, it also could be done IV, which I've done in a lot of my acute injury type patients, especially by slips and falls and sport injuries um, to help patients get back quicker. Um, and then you can, like I said, you can take it orally and it also plays well with a lot of the other pain peptides and other natural things you can do to help with pain. So, mm, Yeah, that is so helpful. So what are um, some of the other stacks that you can include with BPC-157 for specifically like tissue healing or injury um, for those uses? I mean, the, the first go-tos are, are what we call the Wolverine stack, like the, after the uh, comic book uh, character, Wolverine. Uh, thymus and beta-4, um, which is also really works incredibly well for inflammation and uh, joint healing. And CJC-1295, which is a growth hormone booster. If you say, if used under the care of a doctor, it's very good about any type of tendon issues or muscle issues or just recovering after a hard workout. That's kind of the core ones. And then another one that's really, really good is something called GHK Copper, um, which is really good for wound healing and also for tendon tears and uh, muscle injury. Um, that's also an, an injection or a cream. So that's kind of the, the basic go-to ones. Also another one called KPV um, is also really good. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of a few of those, though I haven't tried anything else um, besides the, the BP. 
C157 myself, so I can't speak to it personally, but if they work as well as that one, then I'm, I'm sold on it. <laughs> I am really excited about all the different research that's coming out with different peptides, and I can't wait to learn more about these. Um, one question I had that came up um, actually from somebody through Instagram today was, can you overdose on um, peptides and specifically this GPC-157, this is the one that again has been used most commonly and it has the most research backing it. So for that one, um, is there too much that you can use or take? And also, are there any contraindications or side effects associated? Um, well, specifically with any of them, you can over, you can't officially overdose on all, most of them. You will have some really some nasty side effects and in some patients more than others. That's why it's like anything else. You definitely want to go in a, a lower dose or work with somebody who knows how to titrate up before that you go to the, uh, some higher doses on the one thing, main thing with BPC 157, if you're taking it and you have any, either a, if you're sensitive to histamines where you flush a lot, if you take, if people may have taken like a niacin or something, then don't be very careful of taking a higher dose of BBC because you'll get the same reaction. And also if you have pain, but you also have a chronic inflammation issue like a Lyme, a fibromyalgia or a MASA, which some people may for, be familiar with, you, they are much more sensitive and they'll actually will have a reaction to it and actually will regress as opposed to feel better. So that's, in terms of BBC itself, that's really where I see it. Most patients can tolerate a high dose for a decent period of time, but you got to understand some of the context to it. Some of the other peptides, you're a little more concerned about doing uh, higher doses at all or higher doses over any prolonged period of time without a doctor involved. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think that that's really good information because that's the side of it that you don't really hear in the peptide world. Nobody's really promoting that information. So thank you for sharing that. That's very valuable. Um, and I'm going to cheat a little bit here because we already had a, uh, a, a run with this conversation earlier. And something that I had asked you about was the best peptides for anti-aging. Um, and so I'm actually going to bucket this out because as we discussed earlier today, when we tried to record, um, that there are many different, um, areas and facets of anti-aging that peptides can really help with. So, um, the one I want to start with is beauty. So specifically like skin, um, and hair health, are there specific peptides that are good for this application? And if so, um, what are they and, and what is the best delivery method? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the best the best method for both skin and hair is definitely doing it as part of your micro needling routine. Be it if you, I know a lot of people now are doing their own micro needling. Um, you can get the foam either for skin. You can combine the um, your micro needling with the, the GHK copper. Excuse me, the copper foam specifically for hair or skin. Uh, that's number one for skin. Then you deal with. Um, what's called Lufazil and Aridrolene. And a lot of this, again, a lot of this is going to start sounding like alphabet soup. Um, but they do, those are the, what are the quote unquote Botox peptides. They work really well for skin. Um, I mentioned BPC 157. Of course, that comes in here because it's really good with dealing inflammation. And that's what damages your skin. So there is a BPC 157 cream that you can try. Um, and that helps the skin. That usually combined with things like red light therapy. Um, are definitely a great starting point for skin care. There's also NED skin cream. There's a whole bunch of new ones coming down the pike, things like telomere skin cream and a whole bunch of other ones. And 
uh, that's a little bit deeper, uh, deeper dive. And then in terms of hair, um, hair, like I said, definitely should be done through a micro-kneading approach, um, which is a combination of the GHK, which I mentioned before. You can combine that with something called B PTD um, with valproic acid and zinc thymulin. Uh, you also can do uh, an injection of flamacin beta-4, which I mentioned before, for inflammation. Um, that's the core stack for hair. Um, then again, you compare with good old red light again, um, which would probably help most things that we're talking about. And then now we're mixing that with either PRP and now I'm adding exosomes, which is a, uh, another type of injection, uh, cellular therapy that's been shown to be really, I like a little better than PRP um, for hair growth as well. So that's, uh, th th that's kind of my two go-tos for those two uh, issues. Mm, got it. And so if, if folks have issues with their skin, like eczema or acne or something like that, is there a peptide that works best for that? Or is that typically um, the, the same BBC157 is best for that? For acne, it's a little bit, uh, eczema is a little bit different. Eczema and acne are two different things usually. I mean, in terms of treatment, eczema, um, that's a little bit more Inflammation, like you said, the BPC can be helpful. The TB4 cream could be helpful. We also want to deal with the gut part of it. So again, BPC will help that as well because it's an incredibly good uh, healer of the gut. And you also want to hit the immune part since eczema is autoimmune. And you can throw in one we haven't talked about yet, which has so many uses called thymus and alpha-1, um, which works is a really good immune modulator, which helps regulate your immune system. Um, acne, again, it could be, can be inflammatory. I'll use again, the BPC or the GHK foams, um, or a much better starting point. And then you want to do a dive into kind of more functional medicine stuff like hormones, um, to really get the full picture and get the treated as quickly as possible. Got it. And so it sounds like peptides, um, even though they're kind of being promoted as a, um, one-stop shop or like a miracle drug, it really sounds like they work better with the full functional medicine approach, which I know is your approach to do, you know, the test, assess, address, and that's going to include all things with lifestyle and other tools like red light therapy, um, things, other things that will fix your gut along with um, peptides as well. So I really appreciate that approach. And I love that we're kind of debunking some of these. Um, I think they're myths that are out there around peptides, or maybe they're just getting a little too much um, superstardom in the limelight of biohackers. Uh, so when it comes to um, longevity and anti-aging, sleep is a really important factor. Are there peptides that can help to improve the quality of your sleep? Of course there are. There's, there's a peptide for everything um, at this point. But yeah, for sleep, <laughs> in terms of sleep, yeah, I mean, sleep, again, it's lifestyle first. And then when you do into the sleep peptides, this is one which I find very individual. Um, you talk to each individual patient or a doctor, you're going to probably get a couple different answers. But my go-tos for sleep are something called a pitalon, um, um, which works on the pineal gland. Uh, it's also great for anti-aging in general, uh, different dosing, but it works really well. It's, it's kind of a combination of peptide and what we call a bioregulator, which is a little bit different, but the same and all at the same time. Um, I also use another bioregulator kind of in the same family called pinealon are really good for sleep. Um, something called, I mentioned, I think CJC, which works on growth hormone. We know growth hormone can help with delta wave sleep. So it's, a, it's not the usually a primary treatment um, because I use I usually get lab work on my patients who do any type of growth hormone 
uh, peptides for a long period of time, but it's definitely a nice benefit where I, a lot of my patients say I get, I get the best sleep I've ever gotten by just doing like, like a CJC or um, growth hormone uh, peptide. And another one which gets a lot of attention is uh, something called DSIP, which is deep sleep inducing peptide. Um, it, I get a lot of questions about it. And honestly, it's not my favorite. I know a lot of doctors I speak with kind of will say the same thing that it has a really cool name, but I find it's a nice little add-on, but it's not incredibly strong. Um, I use a lot of the other peptides first and then combine it with a lot of other functional medicine stuff and lifestyle changes and NED to really work with sleep. Mm. And so you mentioned, um, the growth hormone peptide a couple of times. Um, which peptide is that? And is, is that applicable to other things than sleep or recovery specifically? There are, there's a bunch of them that all are interchangeable. Mm. We find that because of the way they work, that some of the ways that some of the growth hormone peptides work, they can work on ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone. They can mess with your insulin, affect your insulin levels that we, and they also, um, so we're very, everybody's different how we prescribe them. And we want to make sure they understand side effects. Like, um, there used to be an old school one called somorelin. It had a little more of hunger issues and some people would get more of a reaction to it so now there's probably four that are out there's a bunch of combinations of them the main ones we use is cjc 1295 usually combined with something called ipamorelin they work at different receptor sites um not uh and that is kind of the the core one that most people know of and use initially for to get what i kind of call like the switch split approach it's not great at one things for every patient but it's going to help Patients potentially lose weight. It's going to help with brain function because it's improving um, uh, growth hormone. It can help in terms of sleep, as I mentioned. It can help with recovery. Um, all my, a lot of my patients, especially my female patients, will tell me how great their skincare looks, their skin looks when they're doing it. So, it it, it has a really broad spectrum treatment. Uh, there are ones that people take. Um, one called the butamorin, which is M, people may know as MK six seven seven. Um, that I find works a little bit better for better for weight loss and uh, lean muscle. And then the one that people kind of ask about is testamorelin, um, which is also a prescription medication, also is really great um, with, with sleep as well as weight loss. Um, those are the core ones. There's a couple smaller ones that people tend to use occasionally. Um, I don't use them as much. Uh, again, there's some, there's a lot of other ones that will kind of make this really confusing, but that's the core ones. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, there are so many out there that it can be very confusing, but I think that this, um, episode is really valuable for that reason. So thank you for going through all of these with us and giving that us that information. Um, from what I've seen in the research on human growth hormone therapies in general is, um, you know, that they are very effective. However, they can have some, uh, scary side effects. And so I was curious is, um, peptides that, that, uh, work on the growth hormone. Um, is that a more safe or effective route, um, to provide growth hormone therapy, um, than others that are out there that have been around for a little longer? My opinion is yes. I mean, you talk to some people, the answer is still no, is that it's still, you'd be very, very cautious with it. And I, I am more cautious with it than a lot of people are at this point in terms of the growth hormone peptides. Um, I, like I said, I do check um, levels of my patients before and after. I will not, you should never take a growth hormone peptide if you have any history of cancer. 
Um, there's not as much study in terms of this uh, of growth hormone peptides with cancer as opposed to traditional growth hormone treatment. The release of the growth hormone is different and where they're acting is sometimes different. Um, so the side effects will not be as severe usually, um, but there's still that slight risk of cancer. You definitely want to make sure that you're getting a blood count checked as well. Um, so there are, there are some risks with it. Again, that's why if you're especially with the growth hormone peptide, you want to make sure that you're working with a doctor. You're not... People, because they think it can build, well, can, but people like the, the benefit of the muscle growth, they think they can just mega dose at the higher dose, the more muscle growth they'll get and the more weight loss they'll get. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. A lot of times it'll end up um, affecting their hormones like insulin, like I mentioned, and then they end up kind of being counterproductive to what they're trying to do. Their sleep gets messed up um, and they feel really kind of crummy. And then they're like, what did I do? I'm like, you're taking like five times a normal dose. So um, there are definitely things to be aware of. Um, and again, that's the one of, of all of them. You want to be make sure you're working with somebody who knows how to prescribe it and, uh, and taper it up for you if needed to be. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I love that you mentioned that not everything is more, bigger, faster, right? That's not always best. Um, and I think definitely in the biohacking community, we see a lot of that going on. Um, so I think with peptides, I think, uh, you know, going slow, doing your homework and working with somebody who really knows what they're doing is key. And, and for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, something that I have been looking in the literature for, but really haven't seen very good representation, um, is peptides for brain health and specifically to, um, avoid or reverse neurodegeneration. Have you seen anything out there, um, that works to help brain function and brain health as far as peptides? There's different categories there, so I'm going to try to like stratify it there a little bit. The one that does have some data is the one that's probably the hardest to get in the U.S., which some called cerebrolysin, um, which is a Russian, Euro Eastern European peptide, which does have some data in terms of Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative issues and traumatic brain, is brain issues. Um, it has a specific protocol that's worked. Um, I've used it in some of my patients here in, uh, in the office. Um, it's a pretty aggressive uh, approach, but it works very well. Um, so that's number one. The other ones of the peptide that are specific of brain have, can help with memory issues. They have no specific studies, as far as I know, in terms of um, Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative diseases specifically. Um, there's something called dihexa, which has been shown to really help with brain inflammation and brain fog. Um, I've used it in a lot of my chronic patients who have things like Lyme disease or fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. Um, there are some studies that are coming down that there are some, um, because of like actions of the peptides by working on something called the microglia cells, which we know that when they're inflamed, um, they can't, they're now, there's a presumed predisposition to neurodegenerative issues, neurodegenerative issues something called a GHK copper, which I mentioned before, can we know works on the microglia, BPC may work on the microglia. So if you want to take the, the step that if it works on the microglia, it may help neurodegenerative issues that we can go to down the, path, the little the rabbit hole there. Um, and then the other part we know now there's a causation between neuro, uh, mitochondria issues. Uh, mitochondria is the, the, the battery or the energy part of your cell and neurodegenerative issues. So if you want to go that way, peptides such as MOTC and a new peptide, which are really looking into these things now, which is called SS31, there's hope that it may help neurodegenerative issues in the future. But again, the, we don't have that one-to-one 
correlation yet. And that you're kind of just hoping and going because we know certain mechanisms may cause neurodegenerative issues. Um, it can, it should, it should help. It may help. We hope it helps since there's no great medications for it yet. But again, the, really the one with the most data is uh, what's called cerebrolysin. Mm. Yeah, and that's what I've seen as well in the research community. There are buzzings and talk of using peptides for um, Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases. But of course, that research is so young that nothing is published yet. Um, so I'm really excited to keep watching this field and see how it grows and see um, what the outcomes end up being as far as um, brain health. So um, something you mentioned was mitochondrial health. So that brings me to my next peptide question, which is what peptides can help with mitochondrial function and health? Yeah, so I kind of hit on that um, initially with the last question. Yeah, MOTC, um, it, that works to, um, it, can, it definitely helps with mitochondrial function. It also works on AMPK, which can boost NAD. Um, which is an uh, enzyme that's necessary for mitochondrial function and the, the electron transport chain, which helps to produce energy. Um, SS31, which I mentioned, works on the cardiolipin part of the mitochondria, which is the one that most people are most excited about at this point. There's another peptide called Umanin, which, again, is not really easily available in the U.S., um, which has shown benefits with longevity and mitochondrial function. Um, and then you get into the more kind of general ones like BPC and the growth hormone peptides like CJC, induced autophagy. So that would enhance, would, would it definitely enhance uh, mitochondrial function as well. Um, so those are the main ones that are out there in terms of mitochondrial function um, that have pretty good evidence too, or at least a good uh, pathway there. Yeah. And so I know mitochondrial health and function is something um, that is a big part of your practice. And it's definitely um, something that the biohacking community and health optimization um, community is interested in. So outside of peptides, what are some other therapies and treatments that you recommend for your patients who are looking to improve their mitochondrial health and function? There's a bunch. I mean, I, um, so the, the really quick high yield ones I, I use for brain health along with that, um, for my male patients, I recommend fasting. Um, females is a whole different animal. Um, I definitely recommend you talk to your healthcare provider, but may, fasting may help the mitochondria. Um, I definitely recommend uh, uh, two supplements, uh, PQQ and CoQ10, um, NED as well, as I mentioned before. And of course, I have to throw it in here too as well. Um, red light works on the cytochromes of your mitochondria, so that will also help um, the mitochondria. Those are the, the core ones I would mention at this point. Um, exercise also will increase the number of mitochondria. Uh, sleep will help mitochondrial function. So that's uh, it's definitely a combination of lifestyle plus some cool tech stuff and then throw in some peptides or some supplements. Well, that sounds like the ultimate stack. Definitely something that I do many of them, um, but I should add in some peptides in that in that stack to really 
beef up my mitochondria. Um, something else that you mentioned earlier was telomeres. And this is something um, that I think is gaining a lot of interest in the scientific community and also in the biohacking community as well. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what telomeres are and why the length of your telomeres is associated with longevity? Sure. So yeah, so telomeres, the way they, the, I think the analogy everybody uses at this point, they're like the little plastic, I guess they're called aglets, I think, at the end of your shoelaces, and you want them to be as long as possible. Because after that, there's problem with things like cell division in your cells, and, and they lead to aging difficulties. Um, so everybody is trying to find the magic potion or solution that will help your body um, improve length of telomeres. There's been some research now that that may not be as true as people say it is. Um, there's still there's a big battle between functional people with more in the integrated space versus traditional doctors um, in terms of how perfect that relationship is. Um, but it's definitely something that we're looking at. Um, things that you can definitely do to um, help improve that is exercise, stress reduction. Um, there's the one peptide which I mentioned, a pitolon, which um, may increase telomere length or at least reduce the, the reduce um, the, the how quickly they're broken down. Um, I know the other part of the question is about the, there's all these telomere tests out there. I am not a huge fan of them currently. Um, I haven't seen the data that they're always as accurate as they claim to be. Um, I know I've done, and other patients of mine have done like multiple telomere tests and they're just all over the place in terms of I'll say one thing one time and then something another time. So it's really hard to, even if you're somebody who tracks all their data, um, that the data is a little bit um, incongruous of, with what's going on. Um, it's, something, it's something that everybody talks about. I think definitely doing, again, preventing oxidative stress, exercise, look, looking at something like a pitalon or a um, Astragalus, uh, which is a, what TA65, um, has scientific data behind it. But a lot of the other things that are out there, um, definitely put a little question mark next to and do your own research. Um, but yeah. it's definitely a buzz topic. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I kind of laugh with the whole telomere conversation because if you look at the literature, uh, and of course, this is just looking at the research, not really the anecdotal evidence. But if you look at the research, it's about a toss of a coin, whether telomeres are an accurate representation of longevity or not. And um, as you mentioned, I've done several uh, biological age tests and I have not been a fan of any of them, the ones that are telomere based and the ones that have other metrics of biological age because every single one of them has come back significantly different. Um, so I think as far as being a scientist and looking at the efficacy of these tests and of, um, you know, telomeres being associated with longevity, um, I haven't seen enough for me to be convinced, but I, I agree with you. I think it's something to keep an eye on and keep watching as it evolves. So, um, I know that we've done like rapid fire Q&A from me all about peptides, um, but I was curious about a couple of the other modalities that you offer to your clients um, for health optimization and for high performance and for longevity. Um, and one of these is another really popular therapy that is really gaining a lot of traction, which is NAD therapy. Can you tell us a little bit about NAD therapy, um, how you use that with your clients and what is the efficacy of that? 
It's another NAD has become another cool buzzword. NAD we know decreases in long is an enzyme or uh, that we know decreases in um, production in humans usually around thirty or thirty five. Um, it's an, it's important to um, regulate your circadian rhythm. Um, we know that it works on your sirtuin genes, which are anti-aging genes. Um, we know, like I mentioned previously, it helps regulate uh, certain a lot of um, cycles in your mitochondria for energy production. It helps uh, works on some of your anti-cancer genes, helps remove toxins from, not toxins, but damage to your DNA. Um, it, it works on a lot of different enzyme systems. Um, so that's number one. Number then in terms of what it, it, it's been reported to use to be used for almost anything out there right now, kind of like a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about. Um, what we know that it we've works in is um, number one is for addiction. Um, it's really good for brain health um, as well. It could be used for there's some studies ongoing now in terms of inflammation. They think it may be in, uh, revolved in terms of inflammation and pain, especially in disc issues and joint issues. Um, because of a decrease of NAD in the, in the area, and along with what are called senescent cells or zombie cells, which are cells that are no longer functioning but not been cleared, which again, it was a whole nother, again, another more complicated issue to get into. Um, in terms of what we know, we there, there are no blood tests really to detect if, what your NAD levels are. So it's a kind of a still guessing game in terms of how well something is working. Um, the question, the main, to answer two of the questions that always come up, number one, in a vacuum, the best way to do it is either doing IV. And if you are doing IV, making sure that you're doing it about the recommendations are doing four IV doses, uh, high, uh, high dose, at least 750 milligrams, four times in the first 10 to 14 days of uh, when you start your treatment or getting or injecting yourself or having a doctor inject you what we call subcutane subcutaneously. Um, those are the ones we know work better. Um, there's definitely a lot of pills out there that we don't know how efficacious they really are at this point. Um, there's also now some patches and melt tabs and other ways that you can uh, do, uh, work. There's also nose sprays as well. The, um, there are some studies that look at them not as, comp not as advanced as everything else. And then the other question that always comes up and um, is NMN versus NR. Those are the two major forms that most of the medications are in. Um, to end, and we then similar answer we don't know. There's study. The more studies are for NR at this point. Um, there are some people, especially in the anti-aging community. I know David Sinclair is a big proponent and takes higher dose of NMN because he feels that's where the money's at. I know there's a couple studies that showed NMN with SS31, the peptide I mentioned before, can increase longevity. That it may help uh, decrease cardiac risk. Um, so. I I still tend to uh, I'm still more of an NR person. If you ask me what I would give it to as an oral, but I tend to do either I inject myself or do the IV as a person, personal choice. So that is a long answer to your NAD question. Uh, <laughs> but there's more more rapid questions that are come after that. I love the answer to that question because it is not a straightforward answer, and I think that that provides. Um, a lot of insight and options for folks who are looking into these various therapies. And so because we've covered so many different kinds of therapies and biohacking tools and tech and lifestyle practices and all of these things, I would love to ask you um, what your favorites are just for the folks who are out there who maybe their head is spinning like, okay, there's NAD and there's peptides and there's red light therapy and there's dietary things and lifestyle things and all these things that they can do. Um, 
it might be uh, really hard to choose where to start. So if we're talking like biggest bang for your buck, what are your favorite uh, or what's your top for lifestyle? What's your top therapy? And then what's your top like over-the-counter supplement? Okay. So, um, I know I'm putting you on the spot there. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just trying to think how to organize it here. So yeah, don't, I mean, like I said, as a man, I like fasting. I like the benefits. I feel with it. I know it works for me. Um, again, fasting is one of those things where, again, you have to kind of figure that out for yourself and talk to your healthcare provider, especially in females. But for me, lifestyle wise, that, and uh, making sure that I try to get enough sleep are the easiest lifestyle changes that are out there, um, in terms of lifestyle. Um, in terms of over-the-counter supplement, um, there's a couple. I mean, the main two that I really like are, um, I like a supplement called spermidine, um, which I've just started taking. And the other supplement that I really like is actually just this very simple vitamin D. Um, nothing, nothing cool and fancy about that. And then as I mentioned about 10 times, it's kind of obvious. I do love red light therapy just because it does so many different things for you and something I just have to do like 10 minutes a day for, um, for four or five days. And I even mentioned, I mean, like for male patients, especially that there's a couple of studies that now show that it can increase testosterone, like a couple hundred points without them having to inject themselves. So that that's kind of like a quick high yield, uh, what I would, my go-to stacks. I love that. And I'm glad to hear that it is similar to what mine are as well. Red light therapy would definitely be on my list. Um, lifestyle would be sleep number one for me. Um, and unfortunately it is a hack because a lot of people are not naturally sleeping. Um, so it is something that everyone can really improve on. So I love those. Um, you mentioned spermidine. That's actually something that has come on to my radar recently. Um, but I don't know a whole lot about it and I haven't dove into the research yet with that one. So can you tell us a little bit about that supplement specifically? Sure. Um, there's a bunch of research coming out about it now. Um, it does. It, 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 they, we know that it, it increases autophagy, which is the dividing of the cells, and then the body you have to clear things out. Um, it also helps um, um, with boost nitric oxide. It may decrease blood pressure. Um, it has a bunch of different mechanisms where it works. It decreases an, um, inflammatory chemicals like NF kappa B, which is in, a big medical word for one of the inflammatory chemicals that cause a lot of havoc throughout the body and different things. Um, so, um, we're just finding so many different uses. It may help with muscle growth. It may help with energy. There's a bunch of, uh, it may help with gut health as well. So there's just so many different things that could be used for. I know there's a bunch, there's some other studies that are ongoing now with it. Um, so it's, it tends to be a supplement I tend to add to all my, not all, but a lot of my patients peptide stacks. Mm, very interesting. That's something um, I'm going to keep on my radar and something I'm going to look into adding to my own supplement stack. Um, so thank you for offering that. So there's a couple of questions that I like to ask all of my podcast guests if you are up for it before we go into our Q&A session. I'm always ready for more questions. Let's go. All right. Two more. The first question that I have for you is, do you have a specific morning routine that sets you up for success? And if so, what does it entail? Well, that's the easiest question you've given me the whole the whole time. I mean, <laughs> um, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, I, I've developed one. And um, really what it is now, and I'm, 
is um, I'm trying to get up earlier and earlier. I find that I'm much more productive when everybody else is sleeping and it's quiet. So I tend to now trying to get up around five or five thirty in the morning every day. Um, and then I will do a combination of mobility and breath work. Um, I'm into something called kin stretch, which is kind of like yoga for each specific joint. Uh, so that's definitely part of my routine. Um, I now will also do something that um, I actually learned on an app called Clubhouse is um, where I will write three positive gratitude statements on paper before I get out of bed, which I find kind of motivates me. And then I will uh, usually will um, end that part of the morning routine with doing a cold shower. Um, I'm based in New York, so I can't really do a lot of cold plunges yet um, outside. So I try to do it that way. Um, and then I will, and that's kind of, and then I will, in theory, then after that, um, I try to plan my day out and I'll try to do the, the toughest thing I want to do. Toughest thing on my day that I don't want to do, I do that first just to kind of get me going. And once that bad thing's out of the way, then things are just going downhill or uphill, depending on how you want to look at it. So that's my core part of my, of my morning routine. I love that. And are you a coffee or tea guy? I'm totally coffee. I'm, I, I only will drink, uh, I'm not sure if I can, there's one specific brand of tea that I, I love, um, a mushroom tea. I'm not sure if I can, we don't name brands here. So, um, mm. but that, that's what I, uh, that's what I, otherwise I'm a coffee guy. Very cool. I was just curious um, because it's always fun to hear about folks, how they, um, how they take their coffee in the morning. I find that most biohackers are coffee people. So it's good to hear that you're one of us. <laughs> uh, the last question that I have for you is something that you already may have answered in those other um, three categories that I asked you of your favorites. But if the listeners could make just one simple change in their lives to improve their overall health and well-being, what would you recommend it be? Um, I may mention really quickly i mean it's exercise i mean exercise four to five times a week is just the simplest thing that you can do and it hits everything from brain health to mitochondria to anti-aging to uh increasing bdnf for neuroplasticity to it just helps regulate your hormone levels i mean it's so simple um to do and it does so many things and it's usually free so it's a it's a win-win there I love that answer. I think that we tend to, especially in the biohacking community, um, get really excited about the gadgets and the supplements and the cool diets and all these things. Um, and even things that are lifestyle wise that take kind of a lot of effort. Um, whereas something as simple as just exercise and sleep can really have the hugest impact on your overall health and well-being. So I love that that's your answer, especially because you have access to all the cool tech and gadgets and everything that you can think of under the sun. <laughs> so um, we are going to open up to Q&A from our audience here. First person we have up is Andrew. My question is putting on more of a medical hat, um, chronic uh, COVID patients, uh, these chronic long, uh, these long haulers um, who are suffering from some issues uh, that range basically from fatigue to uh, palpitations, exercise intolerance, um, and the age age ranges are can vary from 20s to all the way up. So I just wanted to know. I was curious as to your experience with, you know, being in New York City uh, as we're both based out of. Um, 
what's your what's your experience been with uh, chronic COVID patients, and have you found any uh, useful peptides or treatments uh, that stand out to you? Thank you. Sure, Andrew. Thanks for asking the question. Um, we have to say, um, yeah, this is long COVID, especially as a as a physician. I mean, there's not, none of the peptides have been proven, or a lot, there aren't a lot of long term proven treatments in terms of COVID. The one peptide that does some studies regarding uh, COVID has been thymosin alpha one, which is an immune modulator. Um, there are some early studies. I think they're out of China, which did show that they may help. Uh, treat the virus. Um, they really haven't been backed up by other studies, but there are studies that show thymus alpha one may help. Um, I know that was being done in higher doses than it's typically prescribed. Um, so that that's one that has some background in terms of the peptide part. Um, the one in terms of more of the anti-aging longevity one that people are looking into are is our what are called exosomes, which is kind of a stem cell derivative. Um, a company called there's a company out there who's in the final stages of their late studies that show that um, uh, infusions can help uh, both initial treatment as potentially also for uh, long COVID or long haulers. Um, and then somewhere in the middle, the, I know there's a bunch of, not a bunch, but there are some studies that show that uh, melatonin um, can maybe definitely uh, help uh, patients with COVID and long COVID. Um, those are the, the three that have some really, there's a lot, have some data behind them. Um, beyond that, a lot of it is kind of anecdotal at this point. Unfortunately, we're kind of in the situation where we have to, that people are just kind of guessing based on mechanisms as opposed to waiting for the data to come back. Um, quercetin right. is another one based on the mechanism that people think may, may help uh, patients with either in, in either acute or long-term COVID. A lot of the other treatments, like I said, are more anecdotal and uh, we're still waiting for more science to back it up. I see. Um, just a quick follow-up question. If you had to choose one route of administration to start these patients on, or just anybody really, would, what, what route would you choose? I mean, right now, all these are going to be injection-based protocols, except for the the, the exosomes. Um, the exosomes are being done IV and injection. Um, everything else would be, uh, well, injection and then for the peptide and then for things like melatonin. Uh, so those are, right now, those are going to be oral, just at different doses, depending on what the studies finalize them at. Great. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, for the question. And I actually did have a question that just came in to me uh, by text from somebody who was in the audience but had to run. Um, and it is, do you have any specific treatments or peptides that you recommend for autoimmune disorders and specifically um, Hashimoto's? Yes, another one, that, another case uh, that I treat a lot of and I really love, I don't say love treatment, but it's something that I really, the patient, the, a lot of patients will come because they, their doctors will tell, traditional doctors don't believe in treating Hashimoto's a lot of times. Um, so two treatments that I found that really work well either by themselves or in combination is using the peptide that I just mentioned, thymosinaf one which is a really great immunomodulator. Um, and that's can usually be done through uh, self-injection. Um, and then combining that with something called low-dose naltrexone, um, which helps with inflammation as well, also being a really good um, immune modulator. Um, I've had really good success in terms of symptom improvement and our studies have, have shown that, especially with the LDN. The thymosinaf one studies really aren't out there yet as much. Um, as well as their actual antibodies. We've just tracked their antibodies and their antibodies have come down, their thyroid peroxidase antibodies, which is indicative of Hashimoto's. 
Um, but I will put the one little caveat there that we don't, there's not always a one-to-one relationship between your, your, your Hashimoto antibodies and, and your way you feel, but it's one of the ways that we can check. So that's, that's a go-to and there's other things that we can definitely add on there as well, but that's, that's a starting point. Awesome. Thank you for that. And, um, if you're listening, if you want more information, you can always reach out to Dr. Paulvin through Instagram as well. Um, and I'm sure he could help you further. And thank you so much, Dr. Paulvin for coming on the show today. Your knowledge really is invaluable. And I really appreciate that you gave up your time twice today <laughs> to come on to the BioCurious podcast and chat with all of us. If the listeners are interested in connecting with you or if they want to learn more about your work, where is the best place for them to find you? Um, the best two places um, is the website, drpaulvin.com, doctor spelled out, my last name, paulvin, P-A-U-L-V-I-N.com, or the other best way is on Instagram, and that will lead you to, you can message me there, and I put a lot of the my more the bigger social media content on uh, Instagram as well, which is just Dr. Paulvin. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. And I really appreciate you being a good sport about the rapid fire questions as well. No, it was fun. No problem. Anytime, Kayla. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you to the audience for hanging in there with us during this hour. I hope you liked this week's episode of the BioCurious podcast. If you enjoy listening and learn something, please leave us a review and share it with someone that could benefit. If you don't already, follow our Instagram at BioCuriousPodcast for teasers of new episodes, advice from old guests, biohacking quizzes, and if you tag this account with a screenshot of the episode, we will feature you on our story. Thank you for all the support and have a good day.